You've heard the phrase first world problems. We're going to be talking about that today, how you are richer than you think and what God has to say about it today on the Tower Hill podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. I pray that however you're listening to us today and whatever's going on in your life, that you would feel like you are growing closer to God. Well, we just came off a big Sunday in the life of the church. If you're listening in real time, this is the beginning of November, and we started a brand new, not just a sermon series, but a church-wide campaign of generosity called How to Be Rich. Be Rich, for short. And this program comes to us from our friends down at North Point Community Church in Atlanta. They started, Andy Stanley's church, started this Be Rich campaign as a generosity campaign every November in their church. And other churches have gotten on board to do it at the same time. And in fact, they have done such a great job. Uh, North Point took all of their resources all their video production, sermon outlines, everything, and they exported it. And you and your church, you could buy the campaign kit, and uh, you get all this stuff, and you can get a level of production that you just can't generate on your own. At least most churches can't, don't have those sorts of resources. So it's great. It's absolutely great. And we started it off, and the whole goal of this campaign uh, is to make an impact in our local communities, to raise money, to, to do good, to serve, to make things happen. So there's three buckets that this series talks about, give, serve, and love. We're doing a special gift over the next three weeks. So if you're here at uh, Tower Hill, we'd, we'd love for you to contribute. You could even text us um, if you wanted to give, but we're asking every person to give $39.95. And we did that so that people would kind of remember the number and thought that it was at a price point that most everyone could afford. So for $39.95, what we're going to do, if you donate everything to the Be Rich campaign, every dollar that we collect, every penny that we collect, for that matter, is going to go to one of our local mission partners that we support in the community, and they don't know this check is coming. This is going to be just a surprise generosity gift uh, to one of these really great nonprofits that we serve uh, here in the Red Bank community. So we're so excited to surprise them with that. And uh, we're not going to let the cat out of the bag with which mission partner we're giving this money to, because we truly don't want to get back to them first. We want them to be genuinely surprised. Uh, Also, we are serving at a uh, local uh, store. They, They do, it's called Love Thy Neighbor. And they have a couple of furniture stores where they Uh, have furniture at low cost for low-income families. We're going to go there this coming week, and we are going to sort furniture for them. They don't have anybody to sort this furniture. They opened up a a second store, and they need a lot of help. So we're going to go help. Again, check our website for details and how you can participate. And then we're doing our annual, what we call our manna bags, which are Thanksgiving trimming bags uh, that has like a whole Thanksgiving meal in it plus a turkey to go with it. And our goal is to have 500 turkeys along with 500 bags. And you can simply grab a bag, bring it to church. You could donate to this. Again, all that information is on our website. But we are so excited about this campaign. It's called Be Rich. And we hope that it richly blesses you. Because here's the thing. 
No one likes talking about money. I don't know. I, I don't get how pastors, some pastors feel so comfortable with it because I don't know if I'm just skeptical to begin with, but whenever a pastor tells me God wants me to give more money, I don't know. I feel like that's a little self-serving. Like, yeah, right. Right, pastor. Of course, God wants me to give more money. Uh, and how convenient that it can go right to your church. <laughs> so uh, what I love about this campaign is that I'm free to really share what I think our relationship with money is all about and why God cares about it. Because none of the money we're collecting comes to the church. It's all going out the door. And I feel like a real sense of freedom in uh, in preaching this sermon series. Because here's the thing. I do think God cares about our money. I do think God wants us to give more. But not for the reasons that you might think. Um, I think what giving does is it opens up what God wants to do in our lives because we get so attached to our money. All right, well, enough of that. You're going to get plenty of that in the message itself. So uh, I hope you like it. I hope you're into it. I hope it helps you in your walk with God. And now here it is, How to Be Rich. It makes us feel a certain kind of way when we start talking about money. My parents fought about money all the time. My mother miraculously told my dad everything she ever bought was on sale. Everything. I I think, you know, when they ended up getting divorced, I think he had sticker shock at how much things cost. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought this was much cheaper. They they didn't do it well. And we went from a point of, uh, my stepdad had his own business um, and we were doing well. And then all the way down to, we were on food stamps, all the way back up to we were doing a little better, and it was a roller coaster. But one thing was sure, we never had enough. We always had a scarcity mentality. And my view of money was definitely shaped by that as a kid growing up. So much of us, that's how we get an understanding of money. It's our family of origin. How did mom and dad talk about money? How did How did we experience money? Because money isn't emotionally neutral. It stands for things. It's not just the money itself. It's what money represents. Money represents security, freedom, margin, status, all these things, success, whether or not we're a success or a failure, we base on money. Money is something that has a really big place in our lives. And that's why I think Jesus talked about money more than he talked about love. It was his number one topic that he ever taught about was money because he knows what money can do to our hearts. Here's the thing, no matter how much money you make, probably most of you, you would not categorize yourselves as rich. Right? No matter how much you make, you might not feel rich. And so we come across these verses in Scripture, like when Paul in 1 Timothy says, command those who are rich in this present world. And we're just like, okay, next verse. That's not me. It's so true. Like, we all know somebody who's rich, but we're not rich. Right? Nobody is rich, but we all know somebody who is. Here's the truth. 
If you make total household income, if you make $48,000 per year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. You know what that means? Congratulations, you are rich. What, that's it? Come on, you're rich. How come nobody's jumping? Honey, we're rich, finally. He said, I had no idea. What a blessing. We're all rich. Where's the celebrate? Right, because we don't feel rich. Now, and some of you might, but I think for most of us, we don't feel rich. And that's because wealth has side effects. Wealth has side effects. And these are the side effects I think Jesus really wants us to pay attention to. One of the side effects is denial, which is amazing. I mean, tall people don't deny that they're tall. Artists don't deny that they're artistic. But rich people live in denial all the time. I'm not rich. We all know somebody who's rich, but nobody's actually rich, right? Nobody's rich, but everyone knows somebody who is. There was a study uh, that was done by the Gallup organization, and, and they were asking this question. How much money would you need to make every year for you to feel rich? Like every contingency is going to be covered for, and you could actually feel rich. So what Gallup found was that for most Americans, the magic number was $150,000 total household salary a year. That's most of America. I know some of you are like, $150,000. I want you to think about what's that number in your head. Think about it. Get a number. What number would it take for you to feel like you're covered? Annual salary a year for you to feel rich. In other words, what's the number amount to make you not have to worry about money? Get that in your head. Interestingly, in this same poll, those who made under $30,000 thought that $75,000 a year was rich. How about people who subscribe to Money Magazine? How much do you think they said it would take to get rich? $5 million a year. That's what would make... You see, rich is a moving target. And it says a lot about how we view Wealth, how we view money, how it makes us feel, what it does to our decision-making and our priorities. That's side effect one, is that we're all rich and we don't know it. Some of you may be making less total household than 48000 a year, and so you might, you might not be feeling so rich, but even if you make total household 30000 a year, you're in still the top percentile of global earnings in the world. But side effect one is that rich people live in denial. Side effect two, rich people are plagued by discontentment. You know this is true. You know it. And this isn't like intended to make you feel guilty. This is just naming it. We get discontent with what we have. And we look to our wealth to get us the next thing that we need. If you're under, like, 25 years old, you might not even know what this is. Do you all remember this? 
Can you remember life before cell phones? You will never know the joy. My kids will never know the joy of having to dig through their car for 35 cents to make a call. Some of you are like, it was a dime. Yeah. That's before they invented the car. It was a crazy time. It's a crazy time. Or, or they'll never know the joy of doing the collect call trick. They won't even know what collect calling is. When you just had to get on here and you had to come up with a system so you didn't have to pay for the collect call. I'd like to make a collect call. Yes, to who? Hey, it's me. Pick me up. <laughs> click. Can you remember that? And yet now, we all have cell phones. That means we didn't have cell phones before, but no matter what it is, no matter what cell phone you have, you will be persuaded or you have been persuaded to upgrade. This is rich people behavior. I take a working cell phone. It works great. And I take it to the store. I give it to them and then give them money. And they give me another working cell phone that I take home. That's rich people behavior. Rich people behavior. I drive a working car to the car dealer lot. I park it there, give them money. And they give me another car to drive home. That's rich people behavior. Or we go to our kitchens and we have a working fridge and stove and countertops. And we rip it all out and we put, pay a lot of money and then we get new countertops and refrigerators and stoves. <laughs> you guys, I know, I can see you like. <sighs> uh, getting a little uncomfortable. That's okay, we're all in this boat. We're all in this boat. But here's the point. The point's not to make you feel guilty about what you get in your life. That's not it. The point is to understand what wealth can do if left unchecked, what it can do to your heart. Because then you start thinking more about your upgrades in your life based on what your wealth can get you rather than how God wants to upgrade your life. These are the side effects of wealth. So you don't have to like hide your new iPhone 10. You don't have to hide it. It's okay. <laughs> How's this for prophetic? In 1955, economist Victor Lebo said this, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we, that we seek our spiritual satisfactions and our ego satisfactions in consumption. It's kind of like what happens when I'm trying to lose weight and I get hungry to eat a bagel. (laughs) Bagels are so delicious. And they are, they are the worst thing I could eat if I'm trying to lose weight. Like you really, that's a terrible choice to have a bagel. But they're so good. So then you go to a so then you go to a church event, because only churches do this, where they cut it up into like eighths. Right? Like who does that? Who serves an eighth of a bagel? Churches do. That's how we roll. So, we're feeding the five thousand, man. Just bear with it. So, <laughs> so so I'm trying to avoid the bagel, but I go to the church and I'm like, okay, it's an eighth of a bagel. Like I could, I could do that. So I go and I get the, and I put a layer of cream cheese. Like it's just like molecules holding hands. It's like the thinnest 
layer of cream cheese because I think that's going to be okay. You know, like I'll get my fix. So here's a question for you that you know the answer to. I eat and I enjoy my eighth of a bagel. Does that make me want less or more bagels? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Then I'll just take another eighth. Well, still not a whole bagel if I eat it in pieces. This is the thing about appetites. When you feed an appetite, it grows. The only way to shrink an appetite is to starve it. This is true with our money. Our appetites, in the end, are what end up controlling us. And here's the thing. Our appetite for stuff can never be fully or finally satisfied. We'll always want more. Why is that important? Because you can go your whole life being discontent because of your wealth. You could go your whole life being discontent because you feel like you're doing without, that you're being deprived, that you're not fully happy or satisfied with who you are or what you have. And that's not what God wants for us. That's why this whole talk about money matters. God doesn't want us a slave to our money. God wants us to experience life and freedom. That has nothing to do with money. But he can leverage our money to create joy in our hearts. So, maybe 1 Timothy 6 is worth another look. Okay, guilty. All right, I'm rich. Let me hear what he has to say. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. And I know, like, a lot of you are like, Yeah, exactly, those rich people. Arrogance. Just remember, we got a new definition of rich. Just be kind to one another. But I don't think it's an arrogance like Gilligan's Island. Okay, again, if you're under 25, you have to Google Gilligan's Island. Check it out. It was, it's really special. But there were these characters on there, the Howells, right? Thurston. Hey, lovey. Oh, it's... (laughs) <laughs> he said he was just like 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 the just the worst like example of a rich man, you know. And I don't think that's exactly what he means about arrogant. Although certainly, I mean that's part of it. But what does it mean to be arrogant about your money? It means that my money can get my life wherever it needs to go. My money can afford me anything and everything that I want or need to get where my life wants to go. And you see that this is what Paul's getting at. He says, "Don't be arrogant." nor to put their hope in wealth. See, that's the big mistake. You can't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Jesus knows there's a competition going on between your wealth and your trust and dependence on God. We are all in this boat. All of us are tempted to look at what we have and be like, okay, I can get us here as our first look. Rather than, okay, what does God have to say about wanting to get me wanting to go here? We go to resources first, most of the time. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's no way to be. That's no, you're not going to be able to live fully because your, your heart's already taken. That's why he teaches about money so much. is because he sees how money can really damage our faith. 
It can, and it could steal joy. Instead of being content with what you have, you're discontent with what you don't have. Put their hope in God, not wealth. Why did he preach about it? Because he knew that wealth becomes a substitute for God, that my resources can protect me from every eventuality, not God. Jesus addressed this head on. He put it really plainly. He said this. He said, you cannot serve both God and money because no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. You can't serve both. So you may be thinking, well, how do I know? How do I know if my life is living in a way that I'm serving God more than I'm serving money? How do I know that? You know, like I'm not, I'm not sure. I look, I, I think I am, but what's going on? Well, think about this question. I'm going to make a couple of statements and see how each statement makes you feel. How does it make you feel? If I were to tell you right now, if I were to say, there's no God, that's it. You die, lights out, it's over. There's no God. Let's go home. Or if I said, there is a God, but as of this morning, you have no money, zero assets, nothing. And there's no way that you can get money. You are tapped out. Which one would bother you more today, right now? I think that's a, that's a heart check. It's a heart check. But here's the thing about money. Now let's say you're in a place where you're in a hospital bed and you're hooked up to all those things that nobody wants to be hooked up to. And, you're, and for some of you, you've had, this is going to hit really close to home. But let's say that you are in that moment where you don't know if you're going to make it. Which statement are you going to care about more? There is no God or you have no money. You'd be like, money? <laughs> I, I, I care that there's God. Because here's the thing. We're trusting God for 100% of everything that happens when we die. Why? Because we know it's out of our control. But here's the thing about faith. This is what God wants. God wants you to start trusting him before that. If we're trusting God for everything that's going to happen after we die, why don't we start trusting him now? Why? Because he is going to make sure that you are living into the freedom and life and joy and peace and abundance that he has designed for your life. And there's no way to do that if you're going to follow your own wealth first and not God. You see, people think that like stewardship and tithing and all of that is because God's, God's kind of mean and needy. You know, like, well, what, a percentage? Well, what's that all about? What's, you know, why do we do that? Why do we give? It's not that. It's something about the act of giving reminds us about where all these things come from. Where do our blessings come from? They come from him. And he's entrusted us with these blessings. And he wants to leverage them to move the needle on the kingdom of God in our towns, in our communities, with our neighbors. He wants us to loosen our stranglehold to make room for him to come in. Let's finish all of that, verse 17. So command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, 
nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. For our enjoyment. You get that? God still wants you to enjoy this life. He doesn't say it's wrong to have money. He doesn't say that. He says it's wrong to trust in your money more than you trust in me. Because in the end, why wouldn't you trust in the provider instead of the provisions? Why would you trust in riches when you could trust in the one who richly provides? It's like it's a trust thing. You're never going to be satisfied if you trust in riches. I want you to be satisfied. I want you to be fulfilled. I don't want you to live in a state of perpetual denial and discontentment. That's not what God had in mind. He wants us to live in an abundance mentality. He wants us to learn how to be rich. This is the cure to the side effects. When we move our trust from our riches to the one who richly Provides. I do think it's like, it's like Jesus is teaching us about wealth, the difference between a closed hand and an empty hand, right? The assumption that it's all for my consumption is the closed hand. And I'm going to trust in this. It's going to get me to where I need to go. I'm going to finally be happy. Let me just keep upgrading my life. One day I'll get enough upgrades and I'll be happy which we all know is wrong. We just want more upgrades. You're just going to feed the appetite. On the other hand, the open hand is, all right, God, thank you for all that you blessed me with. I really want to enjoy this. But I also want you to lead me to be open-handed about giving. Giving to people in need. See, when you start giving of your money, of your time, You start becoming thankful for what you have. You start living into a spirit of thanks instead of a spirit of discontentment. And that changes you. It changes your heart. It's not that God wants something from you. He wants something for you. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to start feeling rich with your life as it is right now. And that's why that's our call to action this week, giving. That $39.95, we came up with that number just so you remember it. You give more than that, you can give less if you can't give that, but $39.95, and, and the reason is we want to give that and 100% of that just goes out the door and we're going to bless a mission that's not expecting it, which I can't wait to do. When you start giving, you start feeling rich. And I think that's a good place to be. So congratulations, you're rich. Let's all learn from God how to be rich together.